0: my good friend Marcel is what I'd say if he was here unfortunately today uh, he has gone to Merlefest, doing some research uh, in the bluegrass genre even more research than usually does um, so this week I have a very special guest host my main man my number one confidant my best friend Miles Harris
1: hey yo Good to be here, man.
0: Yeah, this is gonna be a fun one. Uh, every time these things are so ill-structured.
1: Um, and now I have to ask before we move on. Now is Merle Fest? Do you know? Is that like Merle Travis? I have or is no it just idea. Called Merle Fest. I was just curious. I don't know. Doesn't matter. <laughs> let's uh, <laughs>
0: just- <laughs> let's do some research.
1: Yeah, <laughs> my guitar brain just started going crazy. I'm like Merle, like Merle Travis. That's cool. I don't know. I just love hearing of all that stuff. I didn't even know where he was.
0: <laughs> oh, well. Merle Fest is an annual traditional plus music festival held in Wilkesboro, North Carolina, on the campus of Wilkes, or how do you say that? Wilkie's Community College. Hmm. Um Held in the last week of April. That's right now. Oh, yeah. Cool. Um, <laughs> Founded by Doc Watson, so I'm sure Marcel's having a good time uh, listening to some traditional American music. But my friend Miles and I are just gonna shoot the breeze and talk about some some guitar stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. If uh, before we get into that, is there is there anything you've watched on YouTube recently that's interesting to you? Hmm. Like, like music related or like anything?
1: No, specifically not music related. Oh, specifically <laughs> not music related. Um Huh. It's always see the the YouTube reservoir becomes the giant, giant vortex in the mind.
0: Oh yeah. I, oh yeah.
1: I, I do. <laughs> it's not recent, but if I if I'm being honest, because I feel like everyone has like a the YouTube guilty pleasures. I got you know I got a few playlists. And I've got the ones that, you know, it's like you're having a bad day, You go through them. And there's a succession of like four or five videos that I've watched for years at this point, every now and again, that I just watch. And now it's like I know the order. It's like Buster Rhymes over the We Shop channel music (laughs) (laughs) and like the heartbreaking dog monologue. There's like a little dog and they just put sad music over it and it's just looking at the camera just it just keeps talking and it looks like it's just desperately telling you something important with the sad music and it's like so i don't know i can't think of what recently but i'll tell you that my guilty youtube pleasures man those keep me going that little list every now and again <laughs> keeps me going what about uh, you man
0: ha- have you heard of drew gooden Mm-mm. He, he he was famous for that that one particular vine Road work ahead well i sure hope it does <laughs> um but but he's he's great uh yeah like he he's a he's an ex viner reviews a lot of like what viners are doing now and just uh instagram accounts and stuff like that he's pretty funny i i enjoy watching drew gooden drew gooden uh, yeah gooden check enough. him out I-
1: that is interesting because I always thought the, the whole Vine thing is so fascinating. Like I love um, learning anything about that or the people that were involved in that stuff because it's so quick. And then they all spread out.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, like the biggest YouTubers now are ex-Viners, the Paul brothers.
1: <laughs> yep. Yep. It's crazy. It's totally crazy. Yeah. I feel like everything around Vine in its aftermath is really fascinating because just like its platform, it was so short-lived. It was so short. <laughs> like, I feel like it's just sort of also hilarious that Vine itself didn't last very long, like the videos. <laughs> you know? It's like the videos are short, and Vine was around for a short amount of time, too. I don't know. Yeah. Correlation? Perhaps. Maybe
0: not. <laughs> I don't know. So uh, let's get in, let's get into the meat of, uh, of what we're going to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. A couple weeks ago, we did an episode on technique and a uh, little bit about anime, but we won't talk about that today. Uh, <laughs> uh, I wanted to just ask you, like, what your overall approach is to your your technique, and like, what what do you do that you you think is different from
1: everybody else? Cool, and this is good. We we've talked about this a little bit, but definitely. Um my approach to technique has been a long journey and I've changed it many times because I'm a self-taught guitar player. I never really, I had a teacher for a little bit, but he didn't teach me about technique. You know, he just tried to help me learn songs and stuff. And at an early age, and it's funny, I heard John Petrucci say something similar that I thought when I started that if you hammered on and pulled off, you were cheating. And I got that idea in my mind, like it really stuck, like I didn't want to cheat, so I had to learn how to pick everything, which anyone that's ever picked up a guitar and has had no instruction is like around the to pick everything realizes that that very quickly becomes <laughs> a problem. It's like, wow, this is a lot more difficult than I thought.
0: If if I heard that from somebody I respected, that would have been very dangerous to me at the beginning stages of my oh, guitar yeah. play. <laughs> Those things will like um, they stick with you. Everything is a darn hammer on or pull off for me. <laughs>
1: but see, now I'm having to work backwards. See, I'm going to get to that. Now I'm having to learn um, how to do that stuff more. But when I started, I got this crazy idea in my head that, you know, you cannot hammer off and pull off or it would be best if you learn to pick everything. And then eventually, the more players I started listening to, like they really encompass that mindset, like um, Alde Damiela. And, like, even, like, someone like Joe Bonamassa. And then even, like, the piano players I like, like Art Tatum and Oscar Peterson have a very percussive, like, bullet-like style at times. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. So I feel like the first many years of me practicing was just trying to figure out alternate picking and making it work for me, which took a long time because it's not – and now I have this huge smorgasbord of ideas that's come from other people. So pretty much everything I do is based around, like, a hybrid of, like – two-way pick slanting and, um, like, um, economy picking. And it took me a long time to develop it because as everyone knows, like when you go, when you pick into the guitar strings, you're like in the strings. And that's the biggest thing is like when you get stuck, you're in a line and it's like, Oh, I need to be going in a different direction. And I've been spending the past few years how, figuring out how to get rid of that problem. Cause as a lot of us, you know, I don't want to think when I play, I just want to be able to play mm-hmm. and go in any direction. And especially in the age we live in, it's like we're able to hear some of these guitar players that have achieved that, like this fluidity of just they're obviously not bound by direction. They're just playing what's in their head. And that and obviously my biggest influence right now is Alan Holdsworth. And that is very appealing to me. The ability to just like think of a line or think of music and not really think as much about whether it's possible, but just knowing you can find a way to do it. But. It's like um, the biggest thing for me and my technique that learning was like the um, economy picking, which I know is big for you too. like that changed everything because then suddenly it's like um, everything is about energy and how much energy you're putting out. And alternate picking is really exhausting. Mm-hmm. And once but if you can learn the fundamentals of alternate picking, and then they put economy picking in there, then it's like you get a break. And every time you can add a little rest, it's like suddenly something that would have been exhausting can become more fluid in the end. You know, and I think that is really cool, and um, and I guess I could even show some examples really quick. But like, for example, just straight up, like some people, if I were just go through like a major scale, you could economy pick it, or you could alternate pick it. And the other thing too is like with these techniques is I feel like they sound different, and it's like different techniques. Like you could play the same look and try to find a few different ways to phrase it. And it's like you'll end up finding one you like or just like a difference. And that's where I've gotten to recently, which is like um, the more tools you have at your disposal. Like now that I can alternate pick and economy pick and sort of understand how to change my pick slant, it's like suddenly you have options. And that's where I realize guitar technique is expanding because I feel like in the past people just had one technique, Mm -hmm. you know. But now it's like we're developing some common language and we're learning like, okay, you know, there's different angles to hold the pick at or like, you know different ways to do motion and so i'm just obsessed with finding all those ways yeah and combining them
0: and if you feel like playing like this is a very playing and per- encouraged uh oh. podcast so. <laughs>
1: perfect well yeah yeah let me show you something else so like even like sound lights, for example if you were to alternate pick that has a sound but if i comedy pick it it sounds more like fluid and less like Machine gunny. And that right there is like, um, since I spent so much time just machine gunning it, for lack of a better word, it's like now I'm finding, trying to find that middle ground with pull offs and hammer ons to where it sounds musical because I'm realizing in like phrases even not played on the guitar, like I would challenge guitar players to try to figure out a phrase that's in your head or that you've been listening to that's not on guitar. And I guarantee you'll know where pull offs should go or like where accents should go, where you should or shouldn't be picking. It's like you hear it. Cause I started learning these classical songs and I'm like, I can hear where the turnarounds are and I can hear where I should be pulling off or doing stuff. Cause it, it sounds natural with the music. Mm-hmm. And even though this is, now I'm sort of like, even though this is about technique, it's not, you know, it's like at the end of the day, we want to be musical. And now I'm trying to re. Shape my mind to just not think about technique for technique's sake, but to think about like, what is the music asking for? Because there's this is great Hillary Hahn video where she's talking about, like I break down things that sound technical and I try to make them not sound technical. Like I'll work on it until it sounds just natural. And that really struck a chord with me because it's, it's hard sometimes to make technical sound. It, it, or you listen to a player and then they do the passage, like the harder passage. And it sounds like it, you know, or I hate it when it sounds like there's a shift Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, they got ready for the hard part and they did the hard part and now it's done. It's like, you know, you just want it. Sh- people shouldn't even notice you played the hard part, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's where I'm at. It's trying to get so good with your technique to where you're just it doesn't sound things don't sound technical anymore.
0: Quick <laughs> <What> tangent <laughs> time. What do you think is are, are are some of the elements that make that that sort of shift happen between something that sounds musical and something that sounds technical do you think it has to do with articulation dynamics
1: that's a great question and you know what's funny is i've really been trying to think about that and i think it's a hard thing to get to the heart of because um and i would encourage anyone to do this is like take a song you know or that you like that's maybe a little more difficult and look up as many versions as you can and odds are you'll find one or two that are really good and you'll find the rest that are just fine And it's like, why are these versions that have, they could even be perfect. Like there could be no mistakes, but it could not be like, you could not be feeling it. And I think that's fascinating and blows my mind. And I think it comes down to, it's like a split between like technique and being aware of like what I was saying, like what technique makes things sound the most musical, because there have been times where it's like, I could pick everything, but I shouldn't, you know, It's like – and I need to – I think it's making those types of distinctions, like not just doing things the one way you do it, but what way does the music call for? And when people do what the music calls for, you always notice. you know, And you can hear when someone's being themselves just no matter where they are to the point of where it even sounds juxtaposed. And that's where I feel like you get the weird stuff is when they're just like, all right, here's the hard part. Ah," But someone that's thinking of it all as like the piece of music, I feel like it's different. And that's to where it like – and maybe – I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel like certain things like that, it almost becomes more of a mental game because if you're thinking about trying to make it musical and approaching it from that standpoint, I feel like everything follows through. But if someone's just, if you get too analytical with it, you can lose your way a little bit mm-hmm. maybe, but mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think about that?
0: Um I think I don't know enough, but like mm. as far as I'm concerned, like I'm a, I'm a music scientist. I, I, I Affectionately given my myself the term sonic scientist, <laughs> and I I, I want to f- figure out like the actual differences in like the waveforms and like the placement of of notes in, in space and uh, mm-hmm. the the different dynamics and like there are, there are scientific ways you can measure that like with uh, spectrum analyzers and. Uh, DB and VU meters, um, and just looking at the waveform, like that's what I want to get to the heart of. I, I want to be able to look at at a piece of music uh, through a bunch of visual analyzers and actually see what's happening. Uh, so, so I can see where those those differences lie, and, and essentially have a greater understanding of, of the reasoning behind why two things are different. Mm -hmm. Uh, But as of now, I have like very little knowledge on it, (laughs) but, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely something I'm interested in Mm -hmm. because, uh, to me, music is supposed to convey or evoke a feeling or emotion. Definitely. But it's also a very scientific process to me Mm -hmm. as well. And I use the term scientific real loosely, but, um, there's a lot of analysis that can be done that I I don't, I'm not sure if it's being done right now, um, but it would be cool to look at, especially like with the, the advent of electronic music and the research that's gone into sound design and sound creation. Um, it, I I would like to apply some of those principles to um, older acoustic music.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think you bring like that. You bring up a great point, and I feel very similarly about music to where it it fits in this weird middle ground between like something scientific. Especially the more you get into electric type music, it's like it, it's I think why it's so appealing to human beings is that it's a fusion of these worlds that's just never existed until now. And I think we are getting to the point where we can spectrum analyze things and see the difference. Like I think that stuff is very valid, and it's just like um. I just I like that idea of science is there to explain why even in something like music. It's like there are things that can be explained or tested, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think um, I think we're definitely heading towards that direction to be finding out even more nuanced things about the differences between music we like and don't like or what makes music special, you know. And that's why I feel like someone like me and you, I know we both think about that a lot. Like it, and I'm sure every musician does it's like, at the end of the day, what makes music listenable or special or what makes it worth listening to at all? Or what makes me like the stuff I like? Like that is our greatest challenge is figuring out whatever that is. <laughs> and uh, I love it.
0: I love Absolutely it. Absolutely. Buddy. Um, so back onto the subject of, of technique, uh, what, what's something, mm-hmm. like, recent that you, you've discovered that's just blown your mind?
1: Ooh, well, the recent thing, and, like, um I guess I, <laughs> I sort of was running through the little technique thing. But uh, for me, the biggest thing now has been the idea that technique is lots of techniques. Like, my whole technique is a combination of, like, so much guitar history because I just want to embody guitar history. So, like, for example, I had to decide, all right, I want to play, like, Al Damiola. So how am I going to be able to do that? I have to alternate pick. All right, done. You know, it's like, I want to be able to play, like, um, country stuff. So it's like, all right, what am I going to do there? And I could get a thumb pick, and I tried that, and I didn't like it. And I'm stubborn, and I want to do as many things in one system as possible. So it's like, I learned how to Travis pick with a pick. And I use my last three fingers and my pinky, my all these last three digits to finger pick which is sort of unusual, but it's like, you can train them to do it. And that's the thing. It's like, I've been pushing myself to do things like that to where it's like, common knowledge would say, get a thumb pick or just use your thumb and use these fingers that work better. But it's like, if you try enough, you can develop it. And so now what that means is I could be playing anything and then I could break into a country thing and I don't have to change anything. And that is what's huge for me is being able to change nothing or like, and it's like the more I learn about like um, sweeping and economy picking, but like advancing it to like a like a Alan Holdsworth or like Frank Gambali level, to where I'm my biggest thing, I guess, that's revolutionized picking is only changing direction when I have to. And that sounds crazy, but it's like I started taking some of these more complicated lines and things I was trying to do, and I was realizing that I was like, um, if I just switched pink angle when I absolutely have to. It just saved so much energy and it kept it all inside generally instead of me jumping over strings like I was trying to do. And it's like these are some of the things like jumping over strings around strings. This is like our biggest obstacles as guitar players. It's just like getting around the strings. And when you can start to get something like this into your playing, what happens is. I don't know. It's just like you can move in any direction. And suddenly instead of feeling like you have this weird uh, you're like jerking to turn around, it's really smooth. And that for me has been big is just trying to keep my keep everything inside instead of hopping over strings, like almost never try to hop over strings. Always keep it streamlined and fluid as possible, because um, I just think there's really something that and holding my fingers close to the fretboard as possible, which, again, is like common, like, yeah, duh. But also people don't do it or like if you really push yourself to keep your fingers close, you know. You can get closer and closer <laughs>
0: that, to me. I feel like that's a, a very do as I say, not as I do type of uh-huh. thing. Like yeah. <laughs> all teachers say, uh, keep your fingers as close to the fretboard as possible. They got the the whole flying pinky thing <laughs> going on. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. Like small things like that, that should make sense are just like for me are very difficult to just click.
1: Oh, yeah. It's like there, it's, and I feel like that's the biggest thing at the end of the day. The more revelations I come to, they're almost all basic. It feels basic, like, wow, this is a basic thing that I should have noticed. But at the same time, it's everything, and no one thinks about it. But it's like the fundamental of this stuff. And for me lately, I just, uh, I've been spending the past few years just trying to examine all the guitar players in history that I like and take what I want. And that's the best part is like, there are proven cases of these people playing like this. And that it works, you know, and you can't argue with it. So for me, when I look at Alan Holdsworth and I see all the things you can do, it's like, I can't argue with that. I don't get why everyone's not basing what they're doing around like what that guy's doing, (laughs) because it's like that guy's doing anything he wants. And um, I think the fingers thing, though, is huge, close to the fretboard, because I keep pushing myself to get closer. And the closer I get to that fretboard, it feels better when you play and you don't think about it because your hands are comfortable and they're close. And it's like. The thoughts feel faster almost i don 't know if you 've experienced that, but I have the more I push myself to do that, like the thoughts feel more immediate to the fretboard
0: mm-hmm. instead
1: of like there 's this lag of like the finger you know having to fall down because I used to very much be flying fingers, <laughs> you know fingers flying up and down, pinky out, you know british stuff
0: <laughs> I, I found myself like going like. Like, like, I always thought, like, my fingers were pretty close to the fretboard and, like, that wasn't something I needed to work on. But, uh, I mean, it's something everybody should work on. But I've been going, like, more and more flying fingers (laughs) recently for some reason. I don't know. Um, So, maybe... Maybe it's good that you brought this up because that's the reminder I needed to check myself before I riggity wreck myself.
1: (laughs) Yep. Yeah, man. Fingers close to the fretboard. I feel like just like fingers close to the fretboard and learning to do different pick slants have been just huge things. And that's, I've only been talking about a bit and obviously on a podcast, it's hard to like show that. But like, um, I'll give a quick rundown for everyone that doesn't know like pick slants. Like most people are downward pick slanters and that's where, you know, if you were to look at your hand, the point of your pick is facing up sort of towards your face, you know, and if you're a downward pick slanter, the point of your pick is pointing towards the floor. And so what that means is when you're either one of those pick slanters, if you're a downward pick slanter, when you pick down, you're buried in the strings. And when you pick up, you're free from the strings and vice versa. So what that means is if you can learn to do both, then you're can do anything. And it's in that the biggest thing for technique too is it took me a long time to realize the motion for alternate picking. That's what I should have said first. Like I used to do all sorts of weird arm stuff and different people, some people play with their arm, you know, locked. Some people anchor their palm to like the bridge. And like for me, the other biggest thing has been learning to anchor my pinky. Like I used to think it's weird that people anchored their pinky, but now I don't because it's like it's like you have this constant spatial awareness that never moves. And the palm of your hand as the anchor for me it didn't work because once i got to the top strings i felt like i had to move too much but with this it feels grounded it's it, just like um
0: it's funny you bring up pinky anchoring uh because that's something me and marcel were discussing and he is on the complete opposite oh uh, yeah he he's a, a, a spectrum okay. like very against yeah, I've pinky seen anchoring yeah <laughs>
1: That guy does pick. He has a very free wrist. And that blows my mind. Someone like him, you you look at him and his wrist, he just moves where he needs to move. And I tried playing like that for a long time and I could sort of do it. But for me, it didn't work. And um, and that's where we get to the interesting part, too. It's like this, the pinky anchoring, I found it works perfectly for me. But then we get Marcel. He's doing the total opposite to great efficiency. So it's like Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's great.
0: But, uh, i'm the same way like i don't i don't mm-hmm. anchor my pinky i'm a i'm a closed-fisted picker mm,
1: okay okay very interesting see and i used to be that way that's the craziest part It's like my technique has changed it's weird to think i've probably been to where both of you are in different ways but it's um it's just very interesting and i'd encourage anyone that is um interested in technique to really start looking into it for yourself because that was the biggest thing is I feel like technique is a journey and once you get to a point where you're like all right I'm taking playing seriously I want to be able to play this music I can't Mm play you have to think about like what techniques let you play that because for me it's like I don't practice tapping for example much because the music I play at the moment doesn't call for it but if I did or if I was playing like Andy McKee stuff I should be practicing that all the time you know Mm -hmm. so it's like it's just depending on what you need and I I guess that is the biggest thing for me and anyone. Anyway, I encourage you, just practice what you need, not what you think you're supposed to be practicing. Like, what do you want to play? Practice that.
0: That's <laughs> good advice, man. Like, uh, just audit your technique. Like, mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, take a look at where you are, like, and really like, dig deep and see if there are any inefficiencies. And uh, if there are, address them. And uh, it's hard to do that um, on your own sometimes. Mm -hmm. So if you're feeling like you're having trouble, I would definitely like look up a teacher in your area or contact Marcel or I and uh, we'll give you a one off lesson like helping audit your technique for you. Because that is
1: definitely huge. And like, I think people, human beings are very quick to get set in our ways, but Technique is something that can be learned and can be changed. And I'm living proof of it because I've changed my technique at least five times. Like, and when I say that, I mean, like I abandoned what I was doing before because it was so bad compared to what I just learned. And I had to start over and be okay with that. Like I was gigging whilst trying to change my entire technique, you know, and it's like, it was scary, but it was worth it. And for anyone, and I feel like some people are going to have this moment at some point in their life, like I did, where it's like, all right, you have a crossroads. Do I refine my or relearn my technique or just keep going with what I have? And a lot of people just keep running with it. But I would encourage anybody to at least try to change things you don't like about your playing because it's more possible than you think, I think. And that's the biggest thing about playing in general is like, I think guitar playing in music in general, is just more possible than ever now. And there's so much to learn from and people have like paved the way for us to just learn how to play anything we want. <laughs> That's what it feels like. Like it feels like cheating at this point because there's so much information just within the music alone. You know, not even mentioning videos, like blah 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 gone. But I don't know. I just think technique, I'm glad that we talked about this a lot because um I feel like it's an important thing to think about in its function in your personal playing and like you know how it's serving you, because if your technique's not serving you well, then it's like you got a problem and you're never going to be happy because I was there. I was not happy. I used to play and be unhappy every time I played because my technique wasn't proper for the music I was playing. It's like that makes sense.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man, I get it. Uh, real good, real good points, real good insight. Um, how about we we move on to just talking about uh, just shooting the breeze on some, some cool voicings? back and forth Ooh, yes let's do
1: that definitely here you go first show All me right. some cool stuff
0: um i'm gonna you guys can't see this but i'm angling the camera down so miles can see my hand um i'm gonna cheat a little bit i showed him this voicing right before we started um it's kind of a like a d lydian voicing um and the way i i, I came up with it we were, i was at this jam session, we were playing just free music, and I I, I heard Lydian tonality a little bit, and uh, I, I I went for the the basic major seven grab, uh, starting on the A string five seven six seven, and then that B string note, I moved it up a whole step, which gives you uh, G sharp the sharp eleven. So what you're getting is root. 5th, major 7, sharp 11. And you can do cool moves around it. Um... I'll I'll try to include tab for that that little thing I played,
1: but and it's got so much character that like um, voicing I really like it. Like it can really it really spices up whatever you're doing a lot because mm-hmm. it feels it, very definite.
0: Like I, I I think of the sharp eleven as tonic, like on a one mm. chord, like you're in the key of D major. Um, I don't think. Ding. Of, of G sharp unless I'm going or G G natural, unless I'm going directly to F, F sharp mm. or sometimes I'll play a line like and, and just mm. go up to that sharp 11 from the, the fourth scale. Yeah. Degree. Um, so that Lydian sound to me is like consonant over a one chord. Like that's, it's my go-to sound over uh, one in any, any given key. turn
1: one really cool chord i've been using is um and i think you can use it you can use it i think instead of a g major seven see watch i won't even know but it's um it sounds like that and it's also and it's just like the first it's the on the low e string it's the third fret for the first two notes and then it's the second fret For the next two, and then the last two are open. And that voicing, and that's, I've been trying to find like, I'll call them like guitar particular voicings, like that, to where it's like, you know, it has a very unique sound on the guitar, and it only really happens there unless you have a capo. And um, when you can fit that into a composition, or find these, like, I've been trying to find more chord, and I think I found a cool A thing the other day. I can't even remember it, see? But um, I've been trying to find cool things like that. Just open voicing chords. Because then whenever you can slip it in, because now it just sounds magical. I don't know. It's just a very um, very cool sound that I've been really into. Just the particular... Beating of those notes.
0: I, I just found a way to move that voicing around.
1: Ooh. Oh, yeah. See, yeah, you can borrow it.
0: The way I'm doing Ooh. that is uh, I'm starting on the, the ninth fret of the low E string. Nine, nine with my third finger and pinky. Then I'm hitting seven, seven on D and G with my second finger and my first finger is hitting five and five, so had it. Um, man, that's really
1: you. Listeners have no idea how impressed I am that Simon <laughs> was just able to start moving that around. He <laughs> told me oh it was guitar
0: guitar particular, and I said, "Challenge accepted." <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: man, Way to show me? But yeah, it's a very cool um. Any voicing of the, and obviously even those first four notes because it's you know pretty much like a major seven type thing almost. I don't know. It's very interesting. It has a very deep sound and like um, voicings on the bottom three or four strings. I've been trying to find more of those because they sound very. It's amazing how deep you can make the guitar sound without drop tuning it if you voice things right. And that's something I've. It's been fascinating me too. You know, like voicings like like those sound so dark you know it's like who would have thought like a guitar and e should sound that dark but if you compose things right like you can make it sound heavy
0: mm-hmm. um I, I i've got a guitar specific uh well, not guitar specific but a voicing that w- works really well on the guitar and uh i challenge any of you guys to try to move this one around it starts out with an open e and then seventh fret on the a string Sixth fret on the uh, D string, fifth fret on the uh, G string, and then third fret on the uh, B and high E. So you get, mm. and that's a that's a E altered dominant sound. That's nice. E seven sharp nine sharp five.
1: That's a nice voicing. I like
0: that a lot. Yeah, it's, it's got a little bit of a stretch to it, but it's not too bad. Um, I have relatively small hands, uh, and, and I can do it. So if you have, you know, normal man-sized hands, you should be able to, to play this voicing. <laughs> Most definitely.
1: It sounds really good. That's a really good um way to voice that chord. Yeah, you got any other voicings? I do. Actually, I've been... Um, the one... We were talking about this a bit the other day, but I've been finding a lot of different ways with the split voicing. I just keep moving notes. Because this, this chord is my favorite chord, hands down. Just the split voicing. Because you can just, like, drop a note or two notes, add a note. And it's like... Within this just one sector, there's so many colors that you can just access or choose how to make that chord feel. And I I really enjoy that, especially like that one, you know? It's just very... um, It's just... um, I've been trying to find more ways to add character to notes. Like Eric Johnson talks a lot about finding chords this way to where you're just sort of like, you know, changing one note at a time. And I like that approach a lot for finding these really... Just sweet little voicings.
0: That one is yeah. beautiful. Can you break that down? Oh, that one? This last one?
1: Yeah, so we got our root um, right here on the, what am I, on the seventh fret on the E, low E. And then also seventh fret on the D. And now that would be the fifth fret, fourth fret. And you're barring that top string the top two with your top finger and then there you have it and you have to like turn your arm in pretty hard <laughs> to get it <laughs> especially that top note but if you can get it it's very pretty
0: and for the listeners at home he is using his thumb to uh hit that that low note
1: um, oh yeah and that's see that's something we didn't talk about much in the technique thing too is um I use my thumb a lot. Some people do, some people don't. But for me, it's like my chord voicings and the way I voice them has definitely, maybe even do a detriment, revolved around my thumb. So I always think in terms of like, whatever my thumb's on, and then the rest of my fingers can do whatever they want to like go against that. And I know a lot of that probably has to do with me just playing alone in my room a lot. (laughs) But it's fun to do that, for sure.
0: That chord reminded me of a... Of a certain type of dominant chord that I really like. Um, it's a this sound. Ooh. It would uh, this would be C seven flat nine with the natural thirteen. Um, and the context I would use it in is like uh, two five in the key of F. Uh, like you got G minor nine. Um, I would I voice an F major seven. Um. Mm. That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and because it comes out of like sort of the diminished form, you can move it like that. Oh. Uh. Oh, my gosh.
1: Oh, see, man, for the people at home, Lyman's just giving me free chords and licks right now. That's all that's happening is I'm just getting free, free, free lessons. I'm I'm getting
0: my fair share of free stuff as well,
1: man. Uh, That's definitely a good voicing. Yeah, you can really move that one around.
0: I I use that voicing all the time when I'm writing my my lo-fi stuff. Like... It, it's a like if if you're practicing diminished chords like that they come out of the diminished scale like that's that's one of my favorites um if you don't know it learn it and uh learn how to apply it uh you got any anything else no i mean i just keep trying just
1: chords like that, too. Um, like, I really like that chord. And then adding a bass to it. I don't know what that is, but. And obviously, this is also something that's very movable. And it just has a really nice sort of ambiguous sound to where I feel like it can work in a lot of different places or be moved around. I've been trying to find more voicings like that. That a semi-ambiguous.
0: <laughs> I think of that as like a D major nine, like.
1: Mm. Hmm. Yeah, definitely.
0: Without the third. Yeah. Mm. Hmm.
1: And then it's cool because that voicing. I like voicings like this, because then you have all your other fingers are free, and you can just add notes. And it's all your choice, you know, what notes you do or don't add. And I really like that. I like to get, I call them like bang for the buck voicings like that. It's like you have voicing and then you also have choices within that voicing that are easy to choose, which I enjoy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh,
0: that that reminded me of a chord that, that I've heard called uh, the chameleon chord. Um, <laughs> it's this voicing, which is mm-hmm. starting on the D string. Eight five six
1: five. Oh yeah. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah.
0: Uh, I'm just gonna experiment with different bass notes, uh, seeing what I can grab. Ooh, I sort of like that one. <laughs> Let's see what we could what we can name this one. uh flat it's got a major six a major seven a major third and a sharp five d flat major seven sharp five mm,
1: i like that sharp five in there i would it's really very interesting. hard for me it'd to voice
0: this in like <laughs> uh, an actual like gigging setting it's a very hard chord to grab um What if I try putting the D flat lower? Nope, I can't. The only
1: other thing I found is, again, you can only generally do it really high up, and it's if you take, like... They're almost all a half step apart. It's just two of them are a half step apart, and then one's just, like, a whole step away from it. So you get that. And that, I want to find more uses for that, those more tense, like, really tense upper string voicings that have quite intense like really unique beating that's very pointed yeah i feel like those man throw some chorus on that mm. <laughs> you're in business
0: <laughs> all right well interesting stuff for sure I, i've got a lot to work on i'm excited to uh, to dive into that um we want to get into our recurring segments but uh I've got a new one I want to try out This is a game called Overrated Underrated Um Pretty self explanatory So I've got one for Miles Overrated or underrated Bar chords
1: Ooh Well See I'm of the mindset I'm so, See now, now I'm gonna make enemies too <laughs> I think bar chords Are overrated And I'll show you why Here's a bar chord. And then here's a bar chord with a little extra. Uh, when you add, I love, oh man, I feel like bar chords are good, but you can almost always find something a little better. Because I feel like the bar chord's been explored a lot. And it's like if you want a bar chord, usually, if I want a bar chord, what I really want is pretty much an octave. That's just strong. And then I just want that give it a little more backbone you know mm-hmm. but i feel like bar chords are are good but it's like i literally never use bar chords like i cannot think of or at least like bar chords in the sense of the most basic bar chord you know but um i don't know i think bar chords in the most basic sense can be useful but i think you can almost always find a slightly cooler way to use them <laughs> except for in like certain musics Obviously. I
0: think bar chords are absolutely overrated and I'll tell you why. Ooh, yes, laid on me. There's too much work. It's too much <laughs> too much work going on, man. You can play like when I reach for a bar chord, I'm usually just trying to reach for a triad. That's what I'm mm. going for. Like I see A or B flat. Like uh okay, I can play a B flat bar chord or I can work a whole lot less and play this chord and get nearly the same effect. Mm-hmm. And so like just omitting notes, you, you put less strain on your hand, you're, you're working less, you're moving around less and you can play. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're, if you're using bar chords all the time, I think you might be working too much.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. And that's the other thing is that you bring up a good point. It's like doing bar chords nonstop is not fun. <laughs> I don't know how the punk bands do it. Mad respect. <laughs> Keep going out there thrashing and stuff. But, man, like, yeah, I um I definitely think it's always good to find other things to do within a bar chord context. But, dang, that was a good one. yeah. Well, I got one for you, good sir. Uh oh. Are you? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Now, laying on me. What do
0: you think? Overrated? Underrated? The minor four. Completely underrated. It is you, my yes. It is my favorite yes! sound in all of music. Like top three favorite sounds. Um, I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> <laughs> uh. To me, the minor four is just a sort of like an altered dominant. 7-sus-4 sound. Mm. Um, so, like, in the key of G, I'm going to play a bar chord just because I said they're overrated. <laughs> going to C, C minor. Um, to me, that's just, like, D-sus-7-flat-9. Mm. Um, but the... re reason i like that sound so much is just because the uh the,
1: mm. the voice leading definitely i think it's one of the most natural resolutions in music there are those feelings like it's so funny because you can make the most complex amazing song but then you can make something simple and you put that minor form in the right spot and it gets anyone every you have to have a heart of stone to be like no nah, that minor 4 didn't get me not even a little it's like yeah it did it got us all it got us all
0: that <laughs> but i'm with you i feel that was a real good one and explain your 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 answer
1: oh i'm with you man i feel like the minor 4 i feel like it only got overused a few times in music but we're at points where it's like a good minor 4 you can't argue with it you just can't you hear it and then it's like Oh man, I can't say nothing I can't say nothing, you know I don't know um I'm trying to I don't know you just, when you especially like the, the classic type of thing, you know um it's like what who's gonna argue with that? <laughs> not me. I just won't. <laughs> the,
0: this is a tough one because like it's I, I like to be scientific with my and logical with my reasoning. I have no logic behind this one or very little. I just love the way it sounds. Exactly.
1: And I I, it's I'm glad you said that because I feel it's the same way. And that's what the minor four is. The minor four is a gut feeling, man. You just feel it. It's like, yep. And it's I don't know. There we go.
0: Well, I've got another one f- <laughs> for you. Um, Johann Sebastian Bach. Ooh!
1: Oh, oh no. <laughs> I'm going to make enemies.
0: Well, it's hard, because I feel
1: like Bach, it's, uh, because it's like, I mean, you sound like a jerk if you call Bach overrated, but it's like, I guess Bach is not my favorite, but I like Bach and appreciate Bach. But... I definitely think, and it's hard because the thing is, he did so many things. I totally understand. <laughs> I get it. I get the Bach thing, and I like Bach, but it's like I don't listen to a lot of Bach. And it's like if I'm going to listen to something in that vein, it's like oh, if I'm being honest, I'm probably going to listen like Chopin, or I'm going to listen to like, especially Paganini. Man, I had no idea how good Paganini's compositions were. Like, I've, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, he's known for being a virtuoso. But like, I just started listening to like these compositions, and it's like, holy moly, this dude's using like jazz harmony. You know, it's like he's moving chromatically and like using like these diminished chords in ways that are just like so fresh, even to me now. Like, I don't know, but I feel like it's so hard. I feel like Bach is almost like in the middle of overrated. overrated. <laughs> he is rated. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? What are your thoughts? It's hard.
0: The music of Bach is, is so vast and like so uh, ubiquitous. Like, um, he did so much, uh, but like even with as much as he did, I'm gonna say he's today he is underrated vastly. Dang. Today, um, like 50 years ago, he might not have been overrated underrated. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, and that's why I say I hesitate on my answer because I guess I should have clarified like to where it's, I guess he's not overrated as much as he's not my favorite, but I understand his significance of why he's very, very important. And it's like that it cannot be understated enough. But very interesting. Like
0: his, his melodies, man. Like. And, uh. Mm-hmm. uh... To me, like Bach was bebop, man.
1: He was. He really was. Well, and it's like the thing about Bach too is it's almost like he wrote. It's like he wrote the freaking book. Like Bach came out. I was like, this is this is how this is supposed to be now.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: like it's like he set the standard. I almost feel like Bach is like the oh, man. Seeing them watch, I'll say more stupid <laughs> things. But I feel like Bach to me is a lot like. Um, like a Duke Ellington or something to where he's just got that expansive library of ideas. And he like pretty much like he is the standard. Mm -hmm. Like this is where it starts or else. What are you doing?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Bach is the man. And I think in 2018, he is underrated. Boom.
1: There you are. Well, I got another one at you. I'm curious what you'll say about this is um, what do you think of open string riffs, such as, you know, like... Uh, or whatever it is, the, the 2 virus songs. See, I can't even remember it. <laughs> but, like, you know, like open string, you know. You know, that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> specifically for me, uh, for me... <laughs> um overrated and and I'll I'll tell you why it, ha- it has to do with my approach to the guitar I want to be able to play things in all keys like in all positions and open strings gets in the way of that for me so I try my best to like eliminate as many open strings in my playing as I can just so I can grab things and have them be movable um and Again, for me, it's just a personal, <laughs> personal uh, Your opinion.
1: Oh, man, I'm actually, I'm pretty much right where you are with that, to where it's like, oh, it's like we're anti-country players. <laughs> <laughs> like, I always love watching videos of country players talk about, like, anytime you can use an open string, you're... and, you know, they want to use all those open strings. But for me, I am also like a, I always want to move things or have things just be to where I can move them, and I, it definitely messes with my brain or like the idea of like, I can't move this voicing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I definitely like to have voicings. I can just could hold in my whole hand. I'm moving all the notes. I'm touching them. <laughs> it's definitely, um, beyond that. And like, um, I guess it feels that. And like, for me, I, even though I talked about that open chord, I liked a lot. Like for me, there's not many open chords or things I like a lot because I feel like, since naturally it's just like a thing that's been done on guitar a lot like a Mm. lot because you know the strings are open and they're there and it's like it makes sense that some people just be like oh just use these open strings duh why would i fret (laughs) things (laughs) and maybe you know what they're smarter and they're working less hard i don't know
0: (laughs) i'm very very interested in hearing what marcel has to say about this because he's probably on the complete you know opposite oh yeah But we're, we're on the opposite ends of a lot of things, I feel like.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. but. And the open string thing is such a mindset thing because the people that do it, it's like they'll slip it in everywhere, you know. And it's like, whoa, did you just play that open string there? It's like anytime any of those open strings is possible to use, they use it. You know, it's like those players fascinate me because it's, it's like it would take me so long to program my brain to like do that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> um, that might be a good thing to, for me to start working on incorporating more open strings because i barely barely ever uh, do that mm. and it'd be nice to you know have that technique uh at my at my grasp but i've got one for you uh overrated underrated slash Ooh!
1: oh hell man you're trying to make me public <laughs> enemy number one now see slash is like for me, my feelings of Slash are like, because um, I understand. I understand his significance totally because, I mean, I'm a guitar player. And even though I didn't necessarily grow up with Slash, like I can, for one, his tone's amazing. Like, duh, like Les Paul and the Silver Jubilee, you're not going to lose. All right. You're just not. And um, it's hard because he's like his stuff that's good is fantastic. But I also feel like Slash is someone that's wildly overrated, even though his significance and impact is big. But it's like as a – I feel like as – if you look at the body of work he's produced and what he's really done, it's hard because if you compare him to other people, it's like, eh, it's just like a lot of other stuff. But for me personally, Slash is a touch overrated, but at the same time, I do think his classic recordings are amazing and his tone's amazing. And like for the time, I understand that that was just like really fresh feeling, but – in this day and age, Slash is overrated. There we go. That's that's what's more accurate. Today, I think Slash is overrated. What do you think? Um,
0: I haven't listened to much Slash or Guns N' Roses. I've heard uh, Welcome to the Jungle and Sweet Child of Mine. And I've heard the, the Velvet Re- Revolver song Fall to Pieces. And I, I like all those things, but uh, I'm, I'm very uninformed on Slash. And I'm just going to say overrated. Don't at me. <laughs> and
1: uh, you heard it here first folks now see i got one for you and i'm very interested to hear your um reply to this one and that is the double kick drum what do you think about the double kick drum
0: oh wow um double kick overrated and i'll tell you why uh Ooh. It- it takes an enormous amount of foot control and, and with both feet, and keeping the, the notes uh, even. And mm. it's something that I've heard get very sloppy very quickly. Um, so in, in most people's uh, hands, or I guess in this case, feet, uh, double kick <laughs> drum
1: overrated. See, and you brought up a good thing about the technical part of that. I think that is true. There's something to be said about that because if I think about it, especially in person, I've definitely heard more sloppy, like double kick players than, you know, one would like. And I definitely think it's one of those things that you have to really be experienced to use it properly or else it can. And and the evenness of the kicks, I never even thought about that. But, yeah, that is really hard to do to keep those kick notes, like, even feeling Mm. Like man, yeah. Well, there you go, people. It's Double kick, dangerous. Don't be using that unless you unless you can back it up. <laughs> <laughs> um.
0: Yeah, I got I got one more, and this stems from a from a Facebook conversation <sighs> I saw recently. Mm. Um, I don't name names here, but uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire overrated, underrated.
1: Ooh, I think Earth, Wind, and Fire is, oh man. It's like, okay, now i thought about it. I feel like they're underrated and I'll tell you why. Because if you go on anything, you look up Earth, and Fire, look at their top songs, like the popular songs, like they're all good, but you start going into some of those deep cuts and it's like the arrangements on that stuff it's mind-blowing. And some of those albums as a whole piece, it's like they were doing stuff that other funk bands wish they could do. Like, they just took the idea of whatever funk music was and just turned it into their own thing. Because Earth, & Fire just sounds like Earth, & Fire. You know, it's like the other funk bands, they I mean, they all have their sound, but Earth, & Fire has its very distinct sound that I feel like is difficult to replicate. And I mean, me and you have both played in a band. We played Earth, & Fire songs. We both know it's like, it's hard to accurately portray those songs, even when you have a lot of really good players, Mm -hmm. like, because it's such a precise and powerful sound. But I feel like they're underrated, especially because of like, um, because I grew up on Earth, Wind & Fire, but I didn't hear a lot of their albums or even like some deep cuts or songs that, you know, you just wouldn't hear. And once I started listening to it, it was really eye opening for me how much they were pushing the envelope, I think, especially for a pretty mainstream band. Of what funk is. But that's what I think. What do you think about
0: them? Um, well, to be honest, this is a softball question for you. <laughs> this is the softball <laughs> one. <laughs> um, Fair enough. But, like, uh, I think they're underrated. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't have much logic or reasoning behind it. I just like their music a lot. <laughs> so, easy. <laughs> underrated.
1: Today. Boom. Especially. In it. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think I have one more, if we could do one more, because yep. I um especially want to know what you think of this last one. And and this last one is sort of scenario-dependent, but I guess let's... set Set
0: the scenario for me.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess, like, in a perfect world, what do you think of music stands on the stage? You know, like in an ideal scenario, say you're on the stage, and maybe not even you, say just like other people, like... Are you okay with music stands on stage, or do you not ever want to have a music stand?
0: Music stand overrated, underrated. Uh, I'm gonna say underrated because if that stand's gonna help Ooh. you play correctly, please use that stand. Um, mm-hmm. hmm mm-hmm. I mean, there are ways to set it up so it's not a distraction or in the way. Like uh, you can have it low. I, th- I think you should, like, do your best to try to memorize all tunes. But, like, if if a music stand is going to help you, then use it. I have nothing against that. Like, absolutely please use it. Especially.
1: And now as an ex- extension on this, now what do you think of people that won't perform without a music stand? <laughs> like, do you think... Could you how would you feel, for example, like over and under, like, you know, always having a music stand versus
0: always having a music that makes stand sense. Uh, versus being able to get get by without it? Um, mm-hmm. Well. Huh.
1: And I know it's obviously sort of an extreme question, but you know I've met a few people that like pretty much every time I saw them perform, they had a music stand, no matter if they knew the song or I presume they would know it by them or not. And I've always been curious, like, what other people think about that, especially like in a scenario to where it's like, I guess maybe I should have phrased this question more specifically, like in a scenario in which you don't necessarily need a music stand; it's like a, a comfort thing, you know? Um, because like, or like as an audience member, if you go somewhere and you see the whole band or like a person in the band they're like really looking at the music stand does that affect you in any way or are you indifferent to it I guess that's maybe more of where I'm coming from I'll I'll
0: set up a couple different scenarios as an audience member I am indifferent to music stands I don't really really care Um, I mean if I'm going to see like a metal band I don't want to see any music stands (laughs)
1: that'd be really funny Um, can you imagine seeing like Meshka and they all have music stands in my like,
0: classes. <laughs> yes. uh, but in a band where, you know, I'm I'm in a position of leadership, uh, and we've been playing the so- same songs for a while and they're still using a music stand, I'm probably gonna take it away. Just as a challenge. Yeah, but <laughs> just to be a little bit of a of a jerk. Um because I'm all about like you know pushing myself I try to get off book as soon as possible Um, Mm -hmm. but I I see the merit in music stands but like if somebody I see clearly has the ability to memorize something and they're still using a music stand I'm going to lobby hard for getting them to at least trying to play without it Mm-hmm.
1: A quick aside to the music stand thing I will say though what I do like is when people have a music stand for like a song because then you know that person gives it. <laughs> 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 like when I saw when I saw Brian Setzer he played the Nutcracker Suite and it was crazy it was a whole arrangement you know of all these different parts of the Nutcracker Suite and he used music for that and I was like yeah I can understand why <laughs> like fair enough you know what I'm not going to ask you to memorize the entire Nutcracker Suite in this giant arrangement that you do once a year you know or you probably put together a specific arrangement just this year it's like man like that it always impresses me when someone has a piece that it's at that level towards like they haven't memorized it but they still want to play it and they're like I got this roadmap and I'm gonna do it even though like this is the one that's maybe not as posh as the rest but it's worth it like I like that I can dig that.
0: All right. I think that was a successful uh first time through this game i'm gonna come up with uh with more questions uh for specifically for marcel and for for you in the future because i hope we we have you on again i'm having a great time but let's move on to uh what have you been listening to lately
1: man i've this will be a good moment for people to realize how weird my listenings are because um, I feel like I'm always listening to a few things in complete opposite directions. Like, obviously, um, ever since Alan Holdsworth died, I've pretty much been listening to him nonstop because I had no idea who he was before he died. And, like, man, if you haven't listened to Alan Holdsworth, just start doing it. (laughs) Just start. Um, But a lot of that, but also, like, um... I'm really getting into Japanese music. Like really, I'm just so mad that I don't speak Japanese, know how to find more Japanese music, because like um, a while ago I literally went on Spotify and went to the top 50 Japan Spotify and just listened to it and it blew my mind. It just changed my world. Like their music is so diverse and the music they're coming out with right now is just nuts. Like the stuff they're doing in their normal pop music just blows my mind. And um, so I can't remember the specific group yeah, I feel like such a, a dummy, but like, um, definitely, like, lots of Japanese music because the way they've been influenced over time and the way they combine influences is very unique to my ears. Like, I just don't hear it happening in other music like it is in Japanese music, especially the fusion of technology in particular with like maybe older ideas of like song structure or harmony and stuff. It's like, it's just such a cool sound just that and like michael jackson (laughs) i can't i pretty much um i just because um off the wall and thriller are like the best dance albums ever so i just i'm trying to listen to those a lot and just hone into that dance thing too but you know that's just sort of it just like crazy fusion jazz japanese music and Michael Jackson. <laughs> that's, that's crazy, <laughs> like, What are you listening to? <laughs>
0: well, a couple weeks ago, we had an episode called Technique and Anime. Um, and I was talking about how I was listening to like anime intros and outros. So essentially, <laughs> yes. the same yes, thing as man. you. But if I were to be honest, this last week, I've been doing a lot of work on my lo-fi stuff. And while, while I've been doing that, I've been listening to Uh, things i can listen to alongside of doing music work so i've been listening to a lot of the bill burr podcast and a lot of the seattle mariners so
1: Mm, how are the mariners doing
0: uh they're doing okay surprisingly okay um robinson robinson cano just uh had an rbi mariners are up 3-0 right now so you might be able to figure out what day this is uh recording <laughs> but they're not right. terrible yet so uh, there's still reason to be excited in april i guess um but moving on like we also like to talk about w- what we've been working on um and this this week like i've been working like extensively on uh my lo-fi music um Mm -hmm. Just, uh, I have a bunch of self-imposed deadlines um, But I've still been trying to practice And I've come up with a new warm-up routine And I will share a tab for this I I have it ready Um, And I've been doing four note per string groups And starting on the first fret Or the third fret of the low E string, and I run through melodic minor scales, so I start on G melodic minor, and then I move on to the next scale that has uh, a G in it, it is also a melodic minor, so next would be F. and then moving on to e d c b flat and then a flat. Nice. Um,
1: How's it how um visually are you starting to really be able to see the patterns really well yet? How does it feel visually? Yeah. Visually
0: so far? Um, I mean the way I played those two you could probably hear I don't have it down very well yet. Yeah. Um mm. uh, so I'm just just trying to work on the hands thing right now but I think mm. visually it's it's, it's going to help me being able to see things, I can grab in all sorts of different positions, especially using four notes per string.
1: Hmm. Definitely. That's why I asked. That's um because that sounds like a great exercise to do. Like really, four note per string stuff really can expand your idea of like where things can go.
0: Um. Yeah. Like I've I've been using it as a warm up because it's a uh, it's difficult the hands but not too difficult or strenuous and it's definitely a mm-hmm. mental exercise for me so mm-hmm. th- that's what I like uh, in my warm ups something kind of hard kind of not just to get me started get get me loose so, so I'll be able to execute things I want to execute on the instrument definitely and, and something that's going to you know help my brain a little bit and that doesn't require you know 100% brain power like I can float mm. by with like 20 or 30%, but I'm still, I still have to think. Um, mm. So yeah, I've just been trying to do that. First thing I do when I get get up in the morning is do that warm up exercise through all uh, seven different melodic minor scales that contain a G note. Nice. But yeah, that's, that's mainly been my practice for the week. What about you? What have, what have you been working on?
1: Oh, man. have I ever been working? Um <laughs> I'm always... Right now, I'm still very much, I feel like, in the pursuit of working on things that just help me make better sounding notes and a more fluid sound. Because for me, it's like I'm so stubborn. Like, I just want things to sound fluid. And, like, the thing about the alternate picking thing that I should have mentioned earlier, too, is, like, not only am I dedicated to alternate picking, it's like I call it legato alternate picking. So it doesn't sound all... You know, it sounds like... You know, it's all together, you know. And that's hard to do. Like, you really have to... But, like, still, that's a huge thing for me always, is just spending time, like, making sure everything I play is legato when I want it to be. And um, the big thing I've been practicing, though, the biggest thing is combining two-way pick slanting. And oddly enough, like, there's a Steve Ray Vaughan song called "Scuttle Button," And, um... That dude must have been a two-way pick slander because this song, even though it's just like this blues crazy like shuffle thing, it's like, uh, and what that requires is like three notes picked down. Or you change your pick slant and come back. Yeah. So that that note isn't is a upstroke almost, but it's on the it changed pick slant, so it's like change 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 so it's like you change your pick slant like what three or four times in there and it's all like and obviously i can't do it super well but what that lick requires is like everything i'm working on even though it just sounds like a little whatever like somehow it's just two way pick slanting it's sweeping it's alternate picking and it's the hardest thing in the world. <laughs> but I've just been practicing that at snail's pace. You know? And making sure every shift, because the thing with changing pick slants that I realized for myself was like I was just I was doing them either after I wanted to do them or I wasn't doing them like clockwork, you know, like making sure like this is where I changed the pick slant. I'm like, hold it and then do the next move and the next move. And that's helped me a lot, too. It's just practicing, on clockwork, even though it sounds very mechanical. But, like, if you can move like a machine, it's not a bad thing to be, you know, you know, have everything be uniform and then mess it up from there Mm -hmm. or whatever. And um, so I've just been really practicing stuff like that and just trying to be like clockwork when I pick. So eventually, you know, it can just flow from the wrist. But just a lot of that, really, just combining all the techniques – clockwork man it just it helps <laughs>
0: yeah buddy uh that's something I should uh take a look into uh, like seeing how I change my pick slant because I know you told me I do and i mm. I mean I, I really only figured out what a pick slant was like a couple weeks ago like how it was performed yeah.
1: and for the for the uh, audience that we got here you must know that this man like I saw him he had no idea what pick slants are and he's two-way pick slanting like He's doing it like he does things that I have had to consciously teach myself and he just does them without thinking. <laughs> and it's amazing. It's so amazing. And just God help us all if he becomes conscious of it, because then we're all doomed. We're all out of a job. Put your guitars away. Stay at home. Oh, man. Uh- <laughs> but seriously, I love it. Um it's um, it's so interesting, man. I I keep talking about technique, but it's never-endingly interesting to me because it's guitar is everyone sort of finds their own little ways around, and it's like naturally you figured out how to two-way pick a bit for sure. It's just amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I think that's the week, Miles. Uh, big thanks to you for for coming on and guest hosting with me. Do you have anything you'd like to promote?
1: Ah, uh, no, man. Just keep your eyes out from my name miles harris you'll see it eventually it'll be yeah, there and
0: you'll, you'll hear about it here for sure um again marcel is at merle fest this week um and we'll we'll be really happy to have him back next week um you can find him he's got a big long outro of different things but i'm sure you can find it all at lessonswithmarcel.com and I'm Lyman Lipke from LymanLipke.com. And you can find everything you need to know about me from there. But again, big thanks to Miles Harris for coming on this week. And we uh, appreciate your, your listening. Uh, so thank you so much. Take care. See you next week.